Hello everybody, we're going for a total YouTube ban and that's why I had to reach out to one of my all-time run-your-mouth favorite guests, Sam Parker. If you're not familiar with Sam Parker, you gotta go down the archives. This guy had the best solutions for tech censorship. We did an entire episode long before anyone knew about Corona talking about Corona. This guy is well-informed, tried to get Romney out of the Senate. I He's one of my favorite guests. The guy just has an interesting take on everything. Uh, before I have him on, like I said, full month, I'm going to be plugging this thing. Go to theblackcaptain.com. It is a new series I made with my friend Menu and Heart. It is up for sale. It is three hours of content. We got the first two seasons up. It's like listening to a movie. I think you guys are absolutely going to love it. And please go support it. That way we can uh, make some more of those. We've got some big things uh, on the drawing board, theblackcaptain.com, shell out 20 bucks, go listen to the two seasons, maybe buy your grandmother a t-shirt, she'll be happy you did, and now let's get into the episode with Sam Parker. How's life out there in Utah, dude? It's great, Robbie. Hey, it's it's great to be on Run Your Mouth again. Was this the third time we've done this? This is, this is our third time, and we've covered some big stuff. We yeah. broke coronavirus before anyone knew about it. We told right. the world... Yeah, we told the world that it was uh, man-made out of a lab, and the WHO is still trying to cover that one up. Um, it, then a full year later, we covered uh, tech censorship, and now yep. we're back to get back into coronavirus and the vaccines. That's right. Yeah, last February, I think. Uh, last February, we talked about how this was a bioweapon released on the world on purpose, and that uh, perhaps even elements in the United States were in, you know, in cahoots or partially responsible or knew something they weren't telling us. And uh, we've been ahead of the curve ever since, haven't we? We absolutely have. So... What do you think now of like just the virus in general? Because you had an interesting take where you just you knew it was going to be a big deal. Um, mm -hmm. You were talking about on Twitter weeks before anyone shut down. It was kind of a, you know, third or fourth page headline. It was not a big story. And you said, watch out for this thing. It's going to be a big deal. I don't know how big of a deal, but this is this is a big story. Yeah. Um. Now it's a full year later and it seems like most people on our side of the news have kind of calmed down about how lethal this virus is. Um, but you, you're a little bit more on the know in terms of just bioweaponry and, you know, met, like this stuff, it's not my field. So sure. what's your take on Corona now? Yeah, I, I think, you know, uh, going back to the beginning, we knew there was something suspicious going on. It looked like it was a lab created weapon with gain of function uh, capabilities. Uh, it looked like it escaped from this lab in Wuhan or, or somewhere and that there was malfeasance afoot. Um, that's what it looked like. That's what all the evidence pointed to. Of course, we were told we were conspiracy theorists and cranks and whatnot. But many prominent scientists, including Nobel Prize win winners, have now come out and said, yeah, this looks like it was a designed, uh, it was a designed pathogen with gain of function. And, uh, you know, we at the time, and why I bring that up is because at the time we didn't know what the end game was, right? We knew this 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 virus was not natural. Uh, that the Chinese were up to something. We didn't know what. We didn't know what their end game was. It turns out that it was a lot bigger than the Chinese, didn't it? It turned out that uh, this thing this thing seems to be related to the Great Reset being promoted by the World Economic Forum. It seems to be. Uh, it seems to be related to uh, the Democrat initiative to quote, build back better, which is also part of the great reset initiative uh, of the World Economic Forum. Uh, people like Bill Gates and Big Pharma and Anthony Fauci at the CDC and the CDC itself, it seems like 
you know, uh, the U.S. government was sending millions of dollars to these research labs in China to do this coronavirus research in the years leading up to this. So it seems that at the time when we saw this suspicious stuff uh, coming out of China, we weren't sure what was going on. There was kind of a fog of war, if you will. But now, in hindsight, being 2020, we can see what was going on. Uh, schemes, all sorts of schemes on schemes hatched to anywhere from shutting down the U.S. economy to getting revenge on Trump for his tariffs against China to uh, uh, allowing Democrat governors and Democrat politicians and globalist forces within and without the United States to uh, seize power, to uh, mold society in their utopian, dystopian image, uh, to be able to facilitate massive election fraud even. So there were schemes on schemes, and it seems that this was um, in planning for probably a long time. Uh, with careful, careful coordination. People know about the event 201 in October of 2019, where Bill Gates and the World Economic Forum sponsored a, a simulation of a global coronavirus pandemic at Johns Hopkins University in October 2019. And and then in, in 2019, or and then in December, Bill Gates tweets about how it's going to, 2020 is going to be a big year for vaccines. Well, how did he know? Uh, nobody had heard of Wuhan and the virus in, you know, in mid-December 2019 yet. It wasn't on anybody's radar. How did he know, right? So I, I think in hindsight, we see a lot of the pieces. We see a lot of the pieces coming together. We don't know all the pieces yet, but there's a lot of dots that are connecting, right? So, right, so uh, let's, yeah. um, let's get into, let's yeah. start with, um, can you explain to our listeners what the Great Reset is? Who are the powers that want, like, what? It's one of those things that kind of falls a little bit into the conspiracy theory territory. Sure. Sure. And you see loosely online, there are people that think that there's this great societal reset that let's just call it the commies, this one world government, some branch of people are really pushing for. Mm -hmm. So what would you kind of define that movement as? Yeah, or agenda. Yeah, the Great Reset is is an agenda um, being promoted. It's been promoted now for a few years by an organization called the World Economic Forum, which includes um, government entities, includes many, uh, many thousands of businesses around the world and corporations. It's an effort uh, on its surface to improve the life, improve people's lives on planet Earth. But they're promoting things like a non-ownership society. We've, a lot of people have seen the meme, you, you, by 2030, uh, you'll own nothing, but you'll be happy, right? Uh, and and you'll eat less meat, right? And 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 things like this, you know. So these are the types of things that the Great Reset is meant to usher in. Um, you know, uh, electronic currency, non-ownership. Uh, you you rent everything as a service, you know. And this is going to be some glorious panacea uh, for the masses. Uh, we're not going to eat as much meat because it's not sustainable. It's bad for the environment. It contributes to greenhouse gas emissions, right? So, uh, and not everybody, you know, in the world can eat meat. So what we're going to do is we're going to switch to plant-based alternatives, right? And um, and we're going to switch to more automation. Uh, in our lives and uh, more telecommuting. School is going to be conducted uh, more, you know, in an electronic telepresence. And there are other facets to this great reset. I encourage people to go onto my Twitter, uh, which is Sam Parker Senate. I'm at twitter.com, Sam Parker Senate. And I have threads on the great reset. Uh, so you can search, you know, Sam Parker Senate on Twitter for the great reset and find my threads explaining this. Um, so just to ask yeah, about yeah. a couple of those elements. So uh, not having access to meat that concerns me because I really like I actually don't eat dairy. Meat meat's mm. a core piece of my diet. Like if you sure. take out 
I once tried going a slightly vegetarian for a point in time. I was just pounding carbs, wasn't focused, did not work for me. Um, when we talk about, I guess, an economy which is a little bit more based off of automation and sharing, that, that strikes me as slightly less concerning to kind of just grow what that looks like. So theoretically, a, a service like Uber could become so efficient that it's actually much cheaper for you to rely on Uber to get around and there's actually no reason for you to have a car. So like even my car, which I drive a lot, mm -hmm. I'm one of these people, I, I probably wouldn't give up my car because sometimes like I don't like reading books. Sometimes I'll just drive around and listen to an audio book. Sure. Like, I don't like sitting still. So I spend a lot of time in my car literally just driving around aimlessly. Um, but for a lot of people, at least your car overnight, it's sitting out there. There's a lot yes. of time that's wasted with your car. So there is potentially an efficiency to if me and seven neighbors had some sort of a one vehicle that we were all sharing. Um, so what do you, because I'm sure I'm just not describing quite what the threat is of not being able to own things. No, that's a good question. It's a great question, Robbie. And and on its surface, it seems great, right? It's, it seems great. Um, there's a few things I would respond to it. Number one, if you don't own anything, you're not really a sovereign individual, right? Because you're not really in control of yourself or your environment, not really. Like if you don't own your own housing, you don't own your own car, you don't own your own food supply. If you rent everything, you don't own anything, then the people who do own the stuff are what controls your life. You don't control your life. Uh, so, you know, we can see this, uh, you know, in welfare societies and welfare programs where people who get uh, hooked on welfare uh, and government handouts don't really have freedom. They don't have liberty. They're not sovereign individuals with command uh, with command over their lives and self mastery. They don't because there's somebody, someone else who provides for them is their master. Uh, so that's no, that's point number one. If you don't own anything, you're not truly uh, a self sovereign. Okay. Number two, let me get that in the picture. <laughs> number two, uh, <laughs> number two. Uh, listen, we have seen what happened uh, to the internet with the explosion and proliferation of big tech, right? And the the the, pro the early promise of the internet was it was going to be this information superhighway. It was going to connect the whole world and open up new lines of businesses and make things cheaper and easier and, and, and more available than ever before. And in many ways, that's been true. But here's the big but. We see how a few multinational titans have absolutely captured the internet. Google, for instance, controls 95% of internet search traffic, okay, in the world. They control, they are the greatest controllers of knowledge uh, in human history. And some say they're the most powerful company in human history with their, you know, market cap being how big it is with all the platforms they control, like, you know, YouTube and Google Docs and AdSense and how they control websites. If web, web, if you have a web presence now, you have to advertise on Google. You have to show up in the search results for Google. But Google now mandates uh, that you moderate and censor your own content uh, from readers if you want to be on their platform. So for instance, you, you remember a few years back where every website and every news organization had discuss comments or Facebook comments or some comments down below every article and there'd be hundreds and thousands of people participating, uh, discussing the articles and the ideas being presented. Well, it turns out that they couldn't control that or you would get a uh, non um, curated information, if you will, right? And so now Google says, if you don't moderate and control those reader comments, then we're gonna deplatform you. Either we're gonna uh, diminish your ability to advertise or we're gonna de-boost you in search results. And we're going to kill your business, which relies on internet search traffic for, you know, to drive traffic to your website and to your platform. Uh, 
Uh, so this is a very anti-competitive monopolistic uh, practice that Google undertakes. Uh, YouTube, during this whole pandemic, has been censoring all kinds of information uh, related to COVID, related to things like vitamin D, ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, anything that went against the WHO's official recommendations was censored. Uh, we also know uh, many thousands, perhaps millions of people are, uh, have been deplatformed from YouTube for having unpopular political takes. Um, I have entire playlists that are completely empty now because of deleted videos, uh, you know, I, or, or peppered with deleted videos. Uh, uh, YouTube brags about the hundreds of millions of videos they deplatform and delete every year to keep their platform safe. Uh, we know about the Twitter and how it controls uh, the, the online discussion, how it, it deplatformed the president of the United States along with millions of other patriots. And, and then, and so these people fled to Gab and they fled to Parler, you know, these, uh, and then what they do to Parler, they deplatform Parler off of the Amazon servers, right? And then to come back, Parler had to, uh, into the Play Store, uh, the Google Play Store and Apple Play Store, they had, uh, Parler had to promise to censor content and censor speech, right? Gab was deplatformed from its web hosting service and they had to build their own server farm uh, to survive. And they're still, you know, I don't know if it's clear if they're gonna survive because it's entirely self-funded. They're under a lot of attack um, by these people who want online censorship. So why do I, so Sam, why do you bring up all this big tech censorship? Why, what's the point? Well, let me tell you the point. How does this relate to the ownership society? Because originally these services didn't censor. They, 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 they Facebook promised to connect with your friends, conduct business, share things. And it was awesome. It was so much fun. Uh, YouTube, upload your videos, uh, upload you, you know, that's why it's called YouTube, you know, connect with the world in your way. And they got millions and millions of people onto the platforms, you know, and, and they got, and Google got millions and millions and billions of people using their search engine, right? And they created all these wonderful services and goods, right? These goods and services. But then once society was transformed by them and people became dependent upon them, then it's like they took off their masks and they're trying to control our lives. Like there's things you can't say. Even Google Docs now has been removing documents that talk about vitamin D or hydroxychloroquine. Well, um, they'll take you know, out your Google Docs. They 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 are now censoring Google Docs. Um, and uh, you know, so it's, my notes to myself. If I'm writing notes to myself in Google Docs and I'm exploring these kind of ideas, they might just take away my own writings. You you could exactly, and and I've documented this on my Twitter as well, and on my Gab. Um, you, uh, you, they do peer into what you're holding uh, on their services, and if they find something that's against their terms of service, they will delete it or remove it or block it. I got. And they have, it. and they have done this now. That's scary uh, to me because yeah. my writing is important to me. Doesn't matter right. if it's important to anyone else; it's important to me. And I can tell yeah. you, I'm disorganized. So I do, I write everything in Google Docs now, my comedy yeah. sets, every podcast outline, so I can easily find things. Yeah. I got to get more careful about backing that up because the idea that not only can they take my content from YouTube, but they can flag me and then take away my own writings from me is very scary. That's right. And they've done it. And they've done it and they will do it and they'll continue to do it. And it's only getting worse. If anybody's paying attention, the, the internet censorship's not getting better. It's getting worse. It's getting more onerous, more draconian, more controlling. So who's in charge of, of self-driving cars? Well, Google's, Google is one of the major companies spearheading 
self-driving cars. Amazon is involved in a lot of these non-ownership services and they're just continuing to grow as well. So is Apple. All these companies that are that are using the iron grip of their control over society now, uh, they're gonna be the ones in control of your self-driving cars, you know, and other, and other goods and services that you don't own. What's gonna happen once they get enough of us dependent upon their services for all aspects of our lives and they've right. reordered so, society and so the, oh, tech, you know, the tech sensors essentially will have more leverage to police your thoughts and ideas and that if they, if they want to say hey you're a dangerous person so you can't use our ride sharing service as a theoretical we're in the we're in the land right. of theoretical here That's as right. a theoretical private ownership of a car um, will lose its economies of scale. It'll be nearly, it will be unaffordable for me to go buy a car. The roads might not even service my car That's because right. we've got this new grid where it's basically servicing the Google mobile. That's um, right. And now if even in my private life, I don't conduct myself in a way that Google sees as being appropriate, I'm not going to have access to the Google mobile. Um, we're describing something that's a little bit far out. It's reasonable. Like, I mean, when you lay down the pieces, it's not crazy to see that the same way that they're policing our behaviors now digitally, as they have more of like products that actually are, you know, the things I need in my life, such as a car, that they will do the same thing. Um, there's a lot of steps that society would have to go through to get there. But I, 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 I'm understanding the concern and I'm not saying it's unreasonable. That is a grounded yeah. concern. And they're already banning people from banks. Banks are deplatforming people from their financial services. People can't get access to their money or they can't get access to services that allow them to move money or spend on things, right? You know, Gab now has been reduced to having to solicit Bitcoin or checks in the mail. That's how Gab are, funds itself. Checks what are the in the mail. Of, uh, have, I don't know, have content creators been banned from banks? Has that happened thus far? Or you're just more talking about that the actual platforms like a Gab... I uh, can't get access to, I guess, traditional banking. Yeah, well, actually, individuals. Uh, there have been stories now of in, of actual individuals who. Um, oh, let's see here. I'm still oh, here. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. sorry, I don't know what happened there. Um, something happened with my computer. Yeah, uh, there actually are stories now of individuals uh, being having their accounts uh, having their accounts closed um, by banks. Sorry, something's going on with my computer. It keeps wanting to make changes it's, it's like, google uh, dude they're they're doing it live that's how advanced they are well the craziest <laughs> yeah. thing that happened last week was uh nick fuentes showed mm -hmm. up to the airport and now can't fly which is just that seems to be yeah. beyond a power grab like what what country are we living in here that a guy who yeah. expresses his views on the internet whatever they are i don't follow nick fuentes i don't care what his views are there's no reason yeah. why that guy shouldn't be allowed to fly. That's that's unreasonable. Yeah, he was in Washington D.C. on January sixth. That was it. He he was he was there peacefully protesting, exercising his First Amendment rights to uh, petition his legislators for uh, redress of grievances peacefully. He didn't enter the Capitol building, right? Uh, he was in no way connected to any of that. Uh, yet uh, the draconian hand of the deep state, uh, in conjunction with big tech, because they've been using big tech. Uh, platforms to comb for these people, not just Nick Fuentes, but other to find out who else was there. And so they've been working arm in arm with these big tech platforms to track people's movements and to find out who was there on January 6th and then target people and then target people. Um, you know, people say, oh, these, these, these big tech companies, they're private companies. They can do what they want because they're private companies. They work arm in arm constantly with governments to 
to do government's bidding and governments go to them to get the big tech to do government's bidding. It's this, it's this quid pro quo. I mean, it, it was leaked. Uh, it came out last week or maybe it was earlier this week uh, that it turns out uh, that uh, the California Secretary of State Office uh, was uh, was collaborating um, to a tremendous extent with the big tech platforms in California to censor uh, to censor anybody talking about uh, election irregularities or voter fraud. How did and, the left you know, win that battle of uh, aligning itself with tech? How did they yeah. seem? Because it would seem to me, and I agree with you, I don't think these are private companies. Um, and I mm -hmm. think that the left has a very strong hold on these companies. I actually think that it's yeah. more that. The Googles, I, I would say Twitter more than anything. When I watch uh, Jack yeah. Dorsey, not that I like him, he seems to me like a guy, if you and I had a, a in private, private conversation outside of anything, I bet his political views, I don't think he's a guy who wants to impose evil. I think he's gotten his marching orders and he knows, hey, the only way I can continue to have my business is if I follow these marching orders. I don't know if the same is true of Zuckerberg or your, your Bezos of the world. I just get that read from Dorsey. What did the left do that they managed to, I guess, foresee the importance of, you know, these tech people and that they were be better able to put the screws to them than the conservatives that they like they're owned by them? Like in your estimation, what yeah. do you think happened there? That's a really good question, Robbie. Um, I think it's got multiple levels of answers uh, we can get. And in each level gets deeper into what what the naysayers would call conspiracy theory. Uh, I think to some degree, um, some of these companies were started um, by people and forces, perhaps the CIA. There's a lot of rumors that uh, the CIA was behind uh, Facebook, for instance. Uh, people can look up something called Project LifeLog, which was, which was a, uh, I believe, a DARPA-funded project uh, by the CIA, or maybe it was just, uh, maybe it wasn't DARPA, maybe it was just uh, the CIA. Uh, but it's called Project LifeLog to create uh, this online database to pe for people to log their life or whatever. It was shut down the same day that Facebook went live. Okay. Um, you know, so, it, it, you know, it's not perhaps out, outside the realm of possibility that some of these companies uh, and there's, you know, uh, and frankly, Amazon has gotten billions of dollars from the, uh, from the Department of Defense. Uh, Google has gotten lots of money and handouts and special favors from the government as well. There's a lot of people that think that perhaps there was from the beginning, these companies were fronted by deep state elements. Uh, not all of them, certainly, but perhaps some of them. Uh, these very and, capital, capital. And I guess just yeah. to, to round out that idea, yeah. if we're looking at this idea of a new world order, those government entities are looking for a more socialized um, planet in which there's greater wealth distribution and yours and I's and the right mm -hmm. opinion. It will also right. be more poverty, but it'll also be more centralized control. That's um, right. And so the left in in, in some forms in its stupidity, let's, let's remove the left from the CIA. So the CIA sure. and some people are smart enough to go, Hey, we just want to control the world. Um, and part of how we do that is we promise them, Hey, we can have wealth distribution. We can help poor people. It's not a working system. And then you've got some dumbasses on the left that either they want to play into that, or they want their slice of the pie, like a Bernie Sanders right. type guy. He wants his slice of the pie. So he's out there preaching his version of that narrative, but he doesn't realize just how, some of the other people playing for that team, just how evil they are. Like they're kind of the pawns on the board. I don't think Bernie Sanders is yeah. sitting down with Bill Gates tomorrow. And he like, 
I, I think he likes his power grab and, you know, mm -hmm. he likes some of the idea of free medicine and he's not quite, you know what I mean? Like he's, he's like small degree evil and yeah. then he got seriously evil, evil. And these two powers are just aligning at the moment. And the CIA is almost doing it or whoever is behind this movement is doing a good job of utilizing those other characters. Yeah, no, it's, uh, let me give you an example. No, you, I mean, it's like circles and circles and circles, right? With different right. varying levels of, you know, some people are motivated by money. Some people are motivated by control. Some people just want fame and adulation, you know? Uh, so different people are motivated by different things. Uh, and, and these masters of the universe, if you will, these, these globalists who are trying to usher in things like the great reset or the, the social credit system onto the United States, like the one they piloted in China. Um, you know, uh, there's there's puppeteers and string masters behind the scenes. I'll give you a good example. One, Bill Gates. Bill Gates has partnered with the CDC. He's partnered with China. He's partnered with the WHO. He's partnered with the World Economic Forum. He's partnered with Johns Hopkins University. He's partnered with dozens, hundreds, maybe thousands of organizations, and poured billions of dollars into into these organizations and his network uh, to bring to pass his visions. Uh, Bill Gates was responsible for Common Core in this country, and he made, I don't know how much money he made off it, but he made a ton. Um, he's also involved now in the new, this new um, style of education where it's much more tech-based and, te you know, teleschooling, you know, that, uh, that this last year of the coronavirus um, shutdown has ushered in. Uh, he's involved with that. He's involved uh, to, up to his eyeballs, right, uh, with the global vaccine industry. Uh, he's, uh, he, he wants to start spraying aerosols into the atmosphere to block out the sun. People can go look that up too. He has got all sorts of initiatives that he is involved in and he partners with, with global entities and governments. Um, you know, we saw last week that the Biden administration is talking about how we got to eat less meat and how, uh, how we need to switch to plant-based alternatives. Well, that's what Bill Gates has been preaching for years. And he just wrote a book on it recently about how we have to switch to plant-based meat and give up real meat. He wrote a book about it and he's been out there promoting it. And now he actually owns, uh, uh, or is part ownership, uh, has part ownership in multiple, uh, fake meat companies. I think impossible foods beyond meat, uh, various companies, uh, that, um, you know, create and produce this, uh, this fake plant-based, you know, protein substance. I don't want to call it even fake meat because it's not meat. It's so, you know, plant-based protein substance that they want to call meat. Um, and, and he's been preaching that and pushing that and, and, and voila, all of a sudden the Biden administration is talking about it now, you know, so who's in charge here? You know, are we in charge or is it people like Bill Gates? What about George Soros who, uh, who funded or helped fund uh, dozens of district attorney uh, positions and governorships and uh, uh, and attorney generals throughout the United States over the last few years. He's poured millions and millions of dollars funding these people. Well, it turns out there's a high correlation between these cities that are letting Antifa and BLM run wild over the last year and uh, and cities who have prominent officials funded by George Soros. Um uh, people can look up that too. You know, I'm, I'm not so, making any of that up, you know, so who's running things, right? To look at Bill Gates for a second. Yeah. Um, and in your estimation, he's kind of King evil and we can get into exactly all of the plans that he has, but just, I, I mean, it's hard to get into the minds of if we put forward the idea, let's just put forward that he is King evil. It's hard to understand why evil people want to be evil. That's, that's hard to do. Mm -hmm. Now, usually when you study them, what you find out is they, had some idea, some wrong idea of good, 
they mm-hmm. thought that they were going to be the one person powerful enough to execute a good, like even Thanos and Marvel is not that different. He's got an idea for how he can fix the universe, which is killing half of the universe. And in yeah. his idea, it doesn't matter who he's got to kill. He's implementing good and he's actually the one good guy. So he's going to do it. But, you know, objectively we can sit back and go, this guy's a villain. So is Bill Gates the same kind of thing where he's got some other idea for humanity that if he doesn't step in in some way and fix something in a more aggressive type matter, or is this guy just, Hey, I've made the 80 billion. I won the software game. And now I want to be the next iteration of like a world dictator. Like he's that power hungry. What, what do you think is this guy's motivation for, you know, not just kicking back and enjoying his billions? Well, that's a really good question. I, uh, I actually deployed a lengthy thread on this topic today on my Twitter. So if people go to Sam Parker Senate on Twitter uh, and find my Bill Gates thread from today, they'll be able to read through that. And in that thread, I'm running a poll right now. It's live for the next seven days asking people, you know, uh, about Bill Gates um, and his motivations. And one of the choices is he's a James Bond villain. Is, is Bill Gates just a James Bond villain? You know, that they, are uh, you know, they want world hegemony. I don't know. I, you know, maybe it's like you said, maybe it's misguided. We know that one of his goals uh, for a long time now has been climate change. And we have to reduce uh, carbon dioxide emissions. And he's been pushing vaccines and, and mass abortion and, 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 and other things to reduce supposed greenhouse gas emissions. And so that's why he wants to block out the sun. He's very, he seems to be very concerned about so-called climate change. And he's uh, um, supposedly uh, uh, undertaking many of these things uh, in an effort to fight uh, um, climate change. That's one of the reasons why he's pushing vaccines, because he sees that he thinks that vaccines will actually lead to reduction in population growth, which is one of the principal ways that he's explained in the past. If we can reduce population growth uh, and reduce population, then we can reduce greenhouse gas emissions. And, and so how, do the, yeah. uh, how do the vaccines reduce uh, population growth? Yeah, so, so what happens, there's this hypothesis um, uh, that if uh, that healthier people uh, have fewer kids, all right. And unhealthy populations have more kids. And so the idea is that if we vaccinate people and make them healthier, then they lose uh, they lose fewer kids uh, to death, you know, in early childhood diseases. And it actually has this softening or this has this effect of people having fewer kids. OK, so so people have heard um, have heard him, you know, his famous Ted talk where he talks about if we do a really good job with vaccines, we can cut that population, we can bring that population number down. And that's what he's talking about. Now, some people think it's even more nefarious than that. They think that he's actually putting stuff in vaccines that will kill people. And we can get into that, especially with these brand new mRNA vaccines for COVID. Uh, It turns out they might be very dangerous. Um, But the point is, is that certainly one aspect is if you have healthier people, they seem to have fewer kids. And so if we make people healthier through vaccines, they'll have fewer kids, we'll reduce the population of the planet, and thereby we'll reduce greenhouse gas emissions. So that's how that's that chain of thinking. Right. Which, by the way, that isn't um, that isn't horrendously evil. I mean, it might be evidence of the fact that he's looking to uh, depopulate and is seriously concerned with global Mm -hmm. warming. Uh, that also sounds to me like that might just be a correlation causation problem that I bet the reason why healthier people might not be having kids is that they're also in wealthier countries. And so they have other stresses in their life. Mm-hmm. For example, like if you're living out and there's nothing to do other than literally your wife, you're going to mm-hmm. have more kids because there's literally nothing else to, that you can do with your time. And I do believe that there's correlations um, between countries that got televisions and the amount of kids that they have. That's I fascinating. Believe- I that's believe that that's, I believe that that's a real thing. 
Um, and then just the other side of that, like I can tell you myself, I mean, objectively, if you looked at world poverty, you would go, Hey, this Rob guy is really wealthy. Like if a guy in, I don't know, the middle of Africa saw what I had and the wealth I made, he'd go, this guy's really wealthy for me living here. I can tell you, I'm always stressed out about money. So mm-hmm. some, there's something about living in healthier environments that also you, you, you kind of feel like you need more. It's a different culture thing. So I'm going to bet that a lot of that, it, the, a lot of the procreation doesn't actually have to do with the fact that people, um, people's health, as much as the wealth is creating other stress factors, uh, where you're not necessarily just finding mates and other things to do with your time, but that, that's yeah, just- yeah. Well, people can look this up. It's called the child survival hypothesis. It's controversial. I don't know that it's been proven. I, I think it's still just a, a hypothesis, the child survival hypothesis. Uh, but yeah, there seems to be evidence that more affluent societies have fewer kids, right? Like uh, it's happening in Japan. It's happening all over Europe. It's happening in the United States. Uh, 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 more affluent people, as people get more affluent, they have fewer kids. It just seems to be a thing, right? Uh, and there's probably a number of factors related to that. Um, but, uh, yeah, so you might be right. He might be misguided there, but that's just one of the things that, um, you know, uh, in 1997, I think he, he established the Institute for Population Reduction at Johns Hopkins University in 1997. So this is something that he's, um, he's been at for a while. He rebranded it later, uh, so that it, you know, it wasn't so stark (laughs) because, you know, people, I think they bristle when they hear Institute for Population Control or Population Reduction, they're like, eh. You know, uh, so, but that was the original name of the Institute that he started back in the nineties, but okay, he's changed so, it, softened it, you know. So before we get uh, specifically yeah. into the vaccines, uh, sure. one of the biggest things we're going to be hearing about over the next two years is global warming. The Project Veritas thing even uh, exposed the fact that CNN wants to run with that narrative. If you go back to the beginning of the coronavirus, this is something I was talking about along with Dave, that if all of a sudden government's going to tell us we can't or can't leave our house because of some threat, when does that get extended to global warming? Um, fossil fuels are a very good tool for growth. Uh, global mm-hmm. warming is a very good tool for controlling the global population and making centralized decisions for how the economy actually should run. Uh, in my opinion, the risk of debt is far greater than the supposed risk of global warming. And so I'd rather go, hey, I think the global warming is a tool of people that are trying to overtake the world for nefarious reasons so let's just fight back about that. Uh, and, I, and I'm not too concerned with global warming. So before we push forward a little bit with the, uh, because the depopulation kind of falls into the conversation of, mm-hmm. do we actually think that there's this global warming threat? And as you said, Bill Gates is definitely one of the people going full gas. Hey, we got a global warming problem. Yeah. Uh, in your opinion, what's your take on what's going on with global warming? Is this a power grab from people like uh, Bill Gates or am I underplaying the risk? It's absolutely a power grab. I have no question in my mind that it's absolutely a power grab. I mean, because it effect, they use it to to uh, they use the excuse of climate change for everything. You know that it, it drives racism. Uh, you know, I mean, you see, you know, you see that kind of stuff. That you know, climate change. Uh, you know, is you know, it's it's fueling white supremacy. You know, you've heard that too. Um, they they make all sorts of these crazy crazy um, allegations. And and how many of the allegations over the last thirty or forty years have panned out by these people crying? you know, these chicken littles crying that the sky is falling about, uh, about, you know, global climate change. It was global cooling, then it was global warming, then it was, uh, then it was global climate disruption, you know, uh, and, you know, Al Gore that, you know, the, the polar ice caps were going to be melted by what, 2010 or 2015. There's more ice on them now than there was, you know, uh, uh, and he's making millions off of that grift, 
you know, um, Bill Gates has how many homes and private planes that he flies around on, um, you know, uh, John Kerry, he's, he's flying around the world on private jets talking about climate change. These people are not serious people, uh, except they're serious about their grift and their exercise of control. And I think they, yeah, they get drunk on their own wealth and power. Um, maybe at some point for some of them, it started out as, a, as an honest belief, but I think, you know, uh, that now it's just a tool of oppression. They want to do things like carbon tax credits and offsets and create a, create a, a carbon exchange uh, that will penetrate down to the individual, the life of the individual. Uh, it, it, it touches people on their gas taxes. Uh, you know, how much, uh, you know, you know, uh, cities are now taking out uh, lanes of traffic in favor of bike lanes, you know, to fight climate change. And so they're creating more traffic for people. Uh, and so people are wasting more time of their lives, you know, in traffic, trying to get from point A to point B, you know, they have less. And so then we see them building more of these multifamily, multi-use structures where there's like malls and shopping centers with apartments on top of them and public transit, you know, trying to pack people into ever tighter uh, 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 areas in these, in these urban centers, trying to pack people in like sardines and take the, get, get them to get rid of their cars and their freedom of movement. And again, get rid of that ownership society. Here's your apartment. Here's your public transit. Here's your little shopping center where everything's going to be delivered to you. Uh, it's taking away people's movement and freedom of movement. You know, uh, that's a big, that's a big freedom. That's an, uh, a necessity. If you want to control people, you have to control their movement. And I think the global uh, climate change grift and scam uh, is, is it, it does many things. And amongst one of the many things it does is it seeks to control the movement of people and therefore their lives. All right. So before, um, last two questions, before we actually start talking about the vaccines. Sure. Um, so, and I, I guess this be harsh line of reasoning, but if we put forward, Hey, we've got these global, uh, elite that are absolutely looking to, uh, gain more control over the population and they're, going to do whatever they can to push forward with this, you know, this new world order. Um, the coronavirus has definitely been a very good tool for them to move forward this agenda. That's do you right. think it was accidental and they said, oh shit, look, we, we can really get the ball rolling on this thing? Or do you actually think that people were sitting around in a room, they developed this, they released it, and like they're that good at kind of figuring out how to run the world and this this plan is just working really well for them? Well, uh, you bring up a good point. Uh, is, it, is it just the Rahm Emanuel theory of never let a crisis go to waste? I mean, it was it that or was there more pre-planning and uh, premeditation involved? And I don't know that we'll ever know fully the answer between those two things. I think it's a combination of both of those things. I, I think we saw that early on. A, an example of this was the mask issue. First, they came out and said, don't wear masks. And then they said, oh, no, do wear masks. You know, uh, and so there was an example, I think, where, you know, people are reacting on the fly, you know, and now we see how they're using masks as really a, 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 a as really a, a tool of control as muzzles, you know, as as a way to control, again, the movement of people, you know, you're not allowed outside if, you know, unless you're wearing a mask and you have to wear a mask, you know, it's just this, it's this tool of oppression and control and they're conditioning people to like, oh, things are so dangerous and you're going to have to have this vaccine, you know, wear this mask until you have this, this vaccine. And so I think that that's a good example of something where maybe they didn't have it perfectly planned out. Now, uh, and so they were kind of reacting on the fly. Well, do we make people wear masks? Do we not have them wear masks? No, yes, let's have them wear masks, you know. Um, and, uh, but we saw that China throughout the month of January last year 
uh, went around the world hoovering up masks and other PPE, personal protective equipment, uh, and created a global shortage. Uh, you people remember we couldn't get masks and gloves and Lysol and things like that early on last year when we thought this was a really dangerous thing, right? We couldn't get it uh, because China had already spent several weeks ahead of time hoovering those things up. They'd had their agents all around the world buying that stuff up. So certainly there was premeditation there. Uh, let me give you another example. On January 15th, I believe, 2020, uh, the French Minister of Health pulled hydroxychloroquine from the shelves. Uh, up until that point in France, hydroxychloroquine was available over the counter. And it had been for decades in France. In, on January 15th, she pulled it uh, uh, from being available on January 15th. Why? Uh, there were no global shutdowns on January 15th. It had not escaped that we know of. It had not escaped China. Uh, early stories were barely beginning to be released about what was going on in China. And certainly nothing discussing any hydroxychloroquine treatments, uh, which was later and has now proven effective, in which even the CDC and the WHO now admit, yeah, it works uh, and is safe and effective. Uh, what was going on there? Why did all of a sudden the French uh, Minister of Health pull that on January 15th, 2020? you know, um, and make it not over the counter available anymore. What did she know? And when did she know it? Right. What you was know? the other, cause you mentioned hydroxychloroquine, vitamin D and one other, what was oh, the other, uh, there are several ivermectin, ivermectin. What is that? I so heard it's, that. Well, it's most people will know it as an antiparasitic for their dogs or cats or horses. Uh, it's, it's been around since I think the fifties, um, or maybe the eighties. I can't remember. It's been around for a long time. 4 billion people have been treated with ivermectin. And I think only like one or two people have died from it from, you know, some, uh, weird genetic complications. Um, yeah, the, the, the developer or the discoverer of ivermectin won the Nobel prize. Um, it's extremely safe, dirt cheap. Like I think you can get it for pennies in some countries in the United States to get it compounded for a human. It costs like a couple bucks. Um, in France, before the, the French health minister pulled it, I think it was something like a euro a pill or like 10 pills to the euro or something ridiculously cheap like that. It's on the, it's on the UN's list of, you know, essential medications for emergencies. Like you must like any country or organization, you know, for emergencies, you should have the, the following medications or drugs. And that's on that list. Uh, extremely safe, extremely safe. Turns out it's extremely effective against coronavirus. Um, if you take it early on, uh, even prophylactically, it's safe. And if you take it early on in an infection, it will knock out your infection. There are now many studies around the world and many countries that are using ivermectin to, uh, to ameliorate uh, the, the quote unquote pandemic. Of course, here in the United States, this information was suppressed by the, by the media and the big tech platforms. Uh, it was suppressed by Tony Fauci and the CDC. Uh, it was not spoken of prominently. Um, it was not uh, approved by the FDA for that use. Now, doctors have always been able to prescribe it as an off-label use because it is, it is an FDA-approved drug, uh, but they were not touting it uh, as beneficial for coronavirus, and so many doctors were reticent to use it. Uh, more and more are using it now, but still, it's still not gained widespread efficacy, but um, it could have saved probably hundreds of thousands of lives. It All right. So now, yeah. now let's talk about the actual uh, vaccines that are coming out. Mm -hmm. You've got the Moderna and Pfizer, which are mRNAs, as is, um, yeah. I believe, AstraZeneca. And then you've got the Johnson Johnson, which, from my understanding, is closer to a traditional um, vaccine. Yeah. Uh, so why don't we start with the mRNA uh, ones first, which is the Pfizer Moderna. What yeah. are the risks of taking this that they're not telling us? Yeah. So uh, 
what people need to, there's a few things that people need to know about these mRNA vaccines. Number one, they've never been safely deployed to humans before, ever. Uh, these, these mRNA vaccines are the first of their kind. To, they're brand new technology, brand new. Never been successfully or safely deployed in, amongst humans before. That's number one. Never before. Okay. Now, why have I heard um, that the technology, I guess, has been around for a couple of years, just not widespread usage? Yeah. But are, just so repeat that for me. So it's this is this is actually the first usage of mRNA completely. No, well, so uh, uh, mRNA, it's it's a it's a form of nucleic acid involved in the body. You have DNA, which is DNA is basically the information storage uh, and instruction manual for how to run your body. Okay, um, mRNA is sort of like it's a trans. You know, if if I have an encyclopedia, which is my repository of information and instructions, I'll like copy down what it says and then give those instructions to somebody or whatever, right? And that's kind of what mRNA is. You have DNA; it's the central repository of information and instructions. And from that, mRNA is created to go tell the cell uh, uh, to go tell to help go tell the cell what to do. The M in mRNA stands for messenger messenger RNA. It's going to go tell something what to do. Okay. Um, and so, so that's been, I mean, uh, uh, that's been discovered for a long time. You know, people know about mRNA, but as, as a vaccine type treatment, it's never been deployed before. They have actually been working on uh, mRNA vaccines as a technology, I think since at least 2002. Uh, and, uh, but they've not been successful. They tried to create mRNA vaccines for SARS. Uh, I think probably for MERS, uh, maybe, and for other coronaviruses. I think Ebola. I think that's part of why they pulled this out was because they mm -hmm. were working on it for Ebola. Ebola and and some other. Uh, I, they might have even tried it with AIDS. Um, but for various for various pathogens, they've tried to develop these mRNA vaccines. They've not been successful. One of the reasons they've not been successful is that uh, is the tremendous destruction and death and disease it's wreaked. Uh, and havoc it's wreaked upon the test animals in all of these trials. So there are various studies out there. I know of at least two ferret studies, a couple of mice studies, and I think a monkey study. So that's five studies where uh, widespread death of the test animals and widespread chronic lung disease has been the result of these mRNA vaccines. And so every time that has stopped the development of these deployment of this technology in its tracks. So you're saying, well, Sam, well, if that's the case, well, how did they get approval? How did they get approval to deploy these mRNA vaccines for the coronavirus now? That's a good question. Let me tell you how. Uh, because these, uh, first of all, they don't have FDA authorization. They don't have full FDA, FDA uh, approval. Okay, that's number one. What they have is something called emergency use authorization. All right. And what emergency use authorization allow, allowed these, vac, uh, these big pharma companies to do was to circumvent the normal um, extensive uh, clinical trials and animal trials and extensive testing phases that they normally have to put a vaccine through. Okay. Um, and so, so basically, that's how they're able to do it. They're able to do sort of the bare minimum of human testing and some animal testing uh, to win emergency use authorization, all right? And, uh, and, and, and then I have deployed these onto the population. They did not do any safety or efficacy studies, I believe, or at least not to any um, statistically powerful extent uh, for people under 18 or over the age of 55, I believe it's either 50 or 55, all right? It, just for that group 18 to like 50 or 55, that's where the studies were- the healthy um, people, the, the one healthy. that, uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So, so now if you're giving your child one of these vaccines, you are now enrolled in possibly the largest clinical trial ever 
ever run, right? Uh, and non-transparently, and they're not telling people this. They're not telling you really that like, well, if you're over 55 or under 18 and you're taking this vaccine that, well, you're really using it in a way that was not tested for in the ramp up phase to get this emergency use authorization. Uh, in my opinion, that's child abuse because this is a brand new technology. We don't know we don't know what it will do. We know in animals, it's been had very deleterious effects in animals, but they have not, in my opinion, sufficiently proven the safety since these previous studies showing death and dis chronic disease to animals. They haven't shown that these are any safer. There's no reason to think that they've overcome that obstacle. And if you look at the reports in VAERS, which is V-A-E-R-S, it's a database, the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System, uh, over 3,000 deaths have been reported in just four months in the United States, along with 86,000 other adverse events, including and, things like- I, yeah. The important thing to know about the 3,000, um, the, there's two really important pieces of information. The first piece of information is if you look at the chart, it's skyrocketed. And there's no other deaths that you like. What other new vaccine is on the market that all of a sudden in 2021, you've got significantly more deaths on the on the flip side of that, just to not create total alarm is mm -hmm. that 2000 deaths with the amount of vaccines that go on. We're still even though it sounds like a lot, we're not talking about like, holy shit, if you get the vaccine, you're going to die. We're talking about a tiny percentage. But the more interesting part is that in, during the COVID virus at the beginning, every death was reported. Every death was treated as a big deal. Now there seems to be at least 2000 deaths that correlate with this vaccine that nobody's reporting on. And it's mm -hmm. an interesting story. And like you said, it's only the first couple months of this. Um, in terms of the injuries, which 80,000 is a significantly larger number. And I bet you're starting to see something that actually is um, statistically significant against even against a hundred million people that have gotten it. That's still, you know, that, 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 that's still that you're all of a sudden you're looking at a uh, kind of a significant number that I haven't heard about. So I'd love to get a little bit more insight yeah. from you. Yeah. So if you go to the VAERS database, anybody can do this. They can look up VAERS online and do searches uh, for these vaccines. And as of April 16th, uh, the latest reported numbers were 3,186 deaths associated with the coronavirus vaccines and 86,080 uh, vaccine, now, serious a, vaccine injuries. On a normal year, because I, I'm, I'm pulling this, I looked at the chart mm -hmm. once and I'm guessing if I remember correctly, typical year vaccine deaths are like at one or 2000. So even within four months to be up at three, like if you look at the chart, it's a skyrocket. If you were looking at a stock chart, you're like, holy shit, this is a big jump. Um, do you know what the, what a typical year injuries from vaccines are? Because that becomes the, the important thing to correlate to go, this must be from the the COVID vaccine. Yeah, no, it's a good question. I, I couldn't give you the exact average off the top of my head. However, I can tell you uh, that I've seen several reports that say that already uh, this vaccine vaccine related deaths for this for these vaccines have surpassed the previous ten years of all vaccine related deaths combined. Yeah, I mean that's pretty okay. So, what are some of the injuries that are being because obviously the stories of people dying from the vaccines or getting injured um, from them are few and far between. You had a doctor in Florida, and then every single time it's happened, there's been scattered stories, and then they do the autopsy. The guy and I was from something else. You even had that at the beginning with the Johnson & Johnson, where they've been trying to say, ah, people were anxious. That's why they were fainting. Most of them mm -hmm. went to the hospital and turned out to be fine. Um, in, I saw a study in Reuters that was talking about heart inflammation starting to be noticed at higher rates than usual mm -hmm. um, amongst 30-year-olds. That's the other oddity here is that the people that probably don't need the vaccine are the ones that seem to be getting the most side effects. 
what are some of the other side effects that you're, I guess that you've been seeing about the, from the MRNA or that people are putting themselves at risk for? Yeah. Uh, blindness, uh, heart attacks, strokes, seizures, uh, neuralgias. I mean, uh, I've seen, we've seen some rashes and skin peeling type stuff and blistering. Um, people are getting COVID, um, uh, or COVID like symptoms, uh, for long periods of time. Um, headaches. Um, I mean, all sorts of stuff. Um, and, and the thing to remember is that previous studies have shown that only about 1% of all adverse events are reported into the VARES system. So whatever's being reported there is only some fraction of what's actually happening. Uh, now, how many deaths normally get reported to VARES? Well, deaths is a more serious thing. So we might expect that, well, maybe a lot of adverse events aren't reported, but death certainly is, or at least more deaths, uh, a higher percentage of deaths are reported. Um, so certainly 3,186 deaths is nothing to sneeze at. Um, and it's probably more, many more than that. Well, and that's just like in the United States, right? The same way that we all yeah. understood they had a per perverse incentive to declare people as COVID deaths because I think they got paid a little bit better. And I think the system wanted more COVID deaths. I think we can all understand that whatever big pharma government systems at work here that's pushing this vaccine as much as they can, there certainly is a perverse incentive for them to, when somebody dies, to declare probably just about anything else. That's right. It's interesting how every death, uh, you know, we have to know if it was COVID positive or negative, right? Uh, right. But, but for vaccine-related deaths, we don't need to know if they were vaccine positive or negative. You know what I mean? We we don't, you know, that's COVID, yes, vaccines, we don't, we don't need to know that piece of information if they died, just if they had COVID. All right. Um, so just to put yeah. a number to it, and I get that this is why this mm -hmm. is, wild speculation right now tomorrow if i were to go get the covid vaccine in your estimation what would you say like if you had to put a number on it risk of some sort of an adverse effect uh boy um i don't know um i haven't run those numbers but let me let me give you some math that you will that will interest you because i mean those numbers will probably i would probably guess it's probably between half a percent and two percent that's just wild right off the top of my head like it could be even lower than that Wait, um, but by the yeah, way if you're putting yeah. that up against the risk of death from covid so that's an astronomical risk to put on your plate compared yeah. to uh you know getting covid and actually dying from it as a healthy 30 year old yeah so so let's run let's run through some other math shall we um Let's let's run through some other math and find out if, if this tracks. Um, so uh, the the COVID vaccines are purported to reduce your symptoms. So the the endpoint goal of these vaccines was not to prevent people from getting COVID. It was to reduce their symptoms if they got COVID. That was the endpoint of these vaccine studies. And they say, if assuming that they didn't fudge their data. They say that it was 95% that these vaccines did meet the threshold of 95% effectiveness in reducing COVID symptoms. Well, you know what else uh, is over 90% effective in reducing or preventing COVID symptoms? Simply being uh, having healthy levels of vitamin D. It's now been shown that 90, 96% of ICU patients are, are vitamin D deficient. Uh, I think 90% or 86 or 90% of all hospitalized individuals are vitamin D deficient. And uh, the risk of hospitalization is dropped by over 90% simply by being vitamin D sufficient. And is that as simple as just taking an over-the-counter vitamin D pill? 
that simple. Or go outside during the summer months, uh, or if you live below the 35th parallel, uh, getting enough sunshine. But yeah, take you know just um, taking vitamin D drops your risk of hospitalization by 90%. Uh, and when and then taken in conjunction with hydroxychloroquine and zinc. Uh, and, and ivermectin, um, uh, there's another massive drop in that risk. So, so, so basically, uh, you can achieve the same preventative effects, maybe even greater than the vaccines, simply by taking your vitamins. And so, go. so, so why would I, yeah. they got to get back in the yeah. game. <laughs> so why would I want to risk a vaccine that's, oh, and by the way, in Europe, these vaccines are reported at 7,800 deaths and hundreds of thousands of vaccine injuries in Europe. Okay. Uh, so, so that's, uh, we're, you know, so worldwide, I mean, there are hundreds of thousands of people who are experiencing vaccine related injuries and there have been thousands and thousands of deaths. So why would I want to risk all that when I can just take vitamin D and if I get happen to get sick, I can get some uh, ivermectin, some zinc and some hydroxychloroquine and maybe not even, or take it prophylactically, maybe not even get sick at all. And if I do like I'm better in a couple of days or even quicker. Why am I going to, you know, why am I going to take this dangerous vaccine that's never been proven? Now, so here's the other thing. The other danger of these vaccines is not right when you take them or right when you get them. Okay. Because that's what we're, we've been talking about, like death or adverse events now as you take it. But in the animal studies, uh, the most, uh, a lot of the danger came after the vaccine, months or weeks later, when the animals were, were re-challenged with the pathogen. Ooh, interesting. Okay. Okay. Uh, when the animals were, when the vaccinated animals were rechallenged with the pathogen, it created what's called cytokine storms. This massive, overwhelming immune response that overwhelmed their bodies. Okay, and killed them. All right. Uh, it's called the cytokine storm. People can look up the cytokine storm. It turns out vitamin D uh, is an integral part in regulating and ameliorating the cytokine storm. Okay. Um, uh, but anyway, so the point is, is that the danger isn't just now, but it's down the road too. Like if you've had one of these MRNA vaccines that in animals caused the death of lots of animals when they were re-challenged with the pathogen, well, they haven't show, sufficiently shown in my opinion that they've correct, that they've fixed that. All right. So what's going to happen weeks or months or years down the road with these people who've had this vaccine and and they're exposed to the, the coronavirus again? What's going to happen to them? We don't know. Nobody knows because these are brand new vaccines. They haven't studied them for weeks or months or year, I mean years. They haven't done it. Nobody knows. So if you go get this vaccine now, you're basically enrolling yourself in the world's largest uh, uh, and most untransparent clinical trial of a brand new unproven technology. Why would you do that? Why All would right. you? So you know, I'm sold. Not getting the vaccine. Let's yeah. move this over to Fauci, who um, mm -hmm. I think is as bad as it's ever been. I just mm -hmm. think we've got someone who represents big farm and some bad interests. Uh, but there isn't. And as far as I've been able to get on the Fauci story is that he was all, that he's owns a lot of patents on vaccines. He's mm -hmm. also seems to be ingrained into this. Uh, the particular research, the gain of function research. He was highly responsible for, you know, getting people really worked up about AIDS. I don't know that much about him other than I can tell that this guy's a good sales guy in the way that he answers and lies about questions. And he's very much so pushing an agenda and being dishonest. I can, I, I if there's one yeah. thing I'm good at, it's going, this is bullshit. And every <laughs> single time he has to field one or two questions, it's very obvious that he's lying. And it's mm -hmm. also very obvious that he's looking to sell vaccines, which there shouldn't be a person in government 
representing big pharma, um, you know, you shouldn't have a lobbyist being paid for by government as if he's the chief scientist. I'll hand it back to you because I bet you have a little bit more information on like what exactly Fauci is. Well, so he's been what he's had his position since what something like 1983 or 1984. Show me a show me a bureaucrat with the kind of power he's had for that many decades that hasn't been corrupted in some way. Show me anybody in government that spent that much time in government that's not a little greasy dirt ball. Okay, <laughs> all right. Um, listen, this. Uh, let me tell you something else about Fauci. He has admitted that he takes eight to thousand uh, eight to nine thousand IU's of vitamin D every day during the winter. When was the last time you heard him telling the public that to take their vitamin D and to get their levels up? Did you have you ever heard him talk about that? No, I, I've told him I've heard him tell me to be indoors with two masks on. That's right, indoors where you can't get sunshine and vitamin D, right? Uh, so, but he but he takes thousands of IU's of vitamin D a day. Um, and yeah, he has all these vaccine patents. He's very cozy with people like Bill Gates, uh, with the big pharma companies. He runs, you know, uh, 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 you know, a portion of, uh, the CD, uh, of the CDC and the National Institutes of Health. Um, he, that, uh, that makes billions off of vaccines, billions every year. And he gets a piece of that. And he runs, he runs, uh, a sector of the government that makes billions off of that. Um, so, uh, and by the way, the, the big pharma vaccine companies are, have complete immunity, no pun intended, or maybe we should say pun intended, have complete immunity against any adverse effects caused by their vaccines since the 1980s. How does, uh, how does the government actually profit off of the vaccines? Uh, yeah, well, because, um, they hold patents. I think, you know, they, they hold patents, um, also, the uh, big pharma funds funds government studies and government laboratories help, helps fund them. So they have various uh, revenue streams. Uh, so the CDC often partners with these companies in developing vaccines. So they get a cut, if you will. Um, so uh, so there's very they have various revenue streams. People can look up Robert Kennedy Jr. Uh, he does great work on this. You can learn all about it. Um, you know the vaccine scam, if you will. Um, you know, Bill, uh, Bill Gates talks about how vaccines you get, you know, he was raving on TV about how you can get like 20 to one return on investment with vaccines. Um, it's a big, massive moneymaker for anyone involved in that whole chain. And if you're involved in that chain somewhere along the line, you're going to be making a lot of money. It's a huge grift. Yeah. All right. So let's uh, pivot to our last topic of the day. And sure. uh, you're, um, I mean, you ran for Senate uh, under the, I, um, as a conservative, um, I would, I'm going to get you're kind of like a constitutional conservative Republican that if you had to give yourself a title, it'd kind of be that. Right. Uh, yeah, I like I like America first. I like the moniker America first, um, even more so than GOP. Yeah, I'm a member of the Republican Party and I ran as as a Republican. Uh, but, you know, what? I'm America first. And that was part of my platform. You know, what's good for America? What's right for America? That's what's that's what I stand for. And that, you know, puts me at cross purposes with a lot of political parties and a lot of and a lot of views. So that's but that's where I'm at. And I, and I might note that today Mitt, I ran against Mitt Romney uh, for the Senate in 2018. Uh, he got booed today at the Utah State <laughs> GOP convention. That's awesome. Today. Are yeah. you going to run again before uh, you thinking about it? Well, I, I'm keeping the option open, still keeping all my social accounts open and, and building my following and trying to get my message out there. So I'm keeping that option open. I haven't made a final determination, but um, keeping that option open, certainly. So I'm pretty yeah. deep into uh, the libertarian uh, politics, conservative, mm -hmm. uh, very 
fiscally conservative Republicans that want a more government that's actually grounded in the Constitution, pretty close to what functionally I would probably actually look for. Uh, like if you put me in charge tomorrow, I'm not going full libertarian. I'd go state, you know, I, I functionally speaking, my politics could exist pretty close we'd have to sit down and we could have a nerdy debate about why the constitutional sure. Republican thing won't work. You could tell me why the libertarian thing won't work. As I'm watching Biden's power grab, mm -hmm. that's when you start, because my theory has always been make them earn your vote. Don't just vote to vote against somebody because mm -hmm. then they can automatically count you within the system. You're not, you're never actually going to get the representation. That's always kind of been my theory. I see what Biden's doing and I start getting charged up where it's like, I got to start voting for Republicans because I just like we're, we're moving the power grab just in the wrong way here where you're enacting policies such as enforcement of this baloney thing that women are making 70 cents on the dollar to men, ESG scores, hiring practices, teaching kids about equality things that I don't agree with, talking mm -hmm. about overhauling the economy because of the green whatever thing that's just a power grab, printing more than anyone. Like I can look at Trump and you might've been more of a fan than my biggest complaint against Trump would be the guy spent too much money. I'm, I'm, I'm not oh, absolutely. A fan of printing yeah. money and yeah. he went fucking ham printing money. Like, what are you yep. doing? Um, yep. But I see what Biden's doing and, and what Trump didn't do. And the, the left is better at is going, I'm in power and I'm going to push some of this stuff down your throat. And yeah. Biden, I mean, just what on paper, what they're trying to do all the way up to COVID passports, which he hasn't said, but I know that if they could get away with it, he'd be all for it. It's just that that idea has been teased. And I think enough of the population is like, that's a little bit too creepy. Um, but I'll hand it back to you uh, in terms of what you're like, what you think is kind of the scariest thing coming out of the Biden administration. Boy, it's like a rogues gallery. Take your pick. It's like whack-a-mole. <laughs> like, uh, it's, I mean, listen, they still got the Capitol building encircled by, you know, fencing and national guarded by National Guard soldiers. So we're already living under a military occupation. You know, the beginnings of a military dictatorship. This We're in the beginnings of that. I mean, there's no doubt about it. He's every day he's signing executive order. He's seizing land. He's shutting down energy development, fracking, Keystone Pipeline, killing jobs. Uh, you know, wants to raise taxes. Uh, they want to pack the Supreme Court. Uh, they want to get yeah, rid of the in the states. Yeah. By the way, that's the craziest thing. I I, I forgot about that on my list, but they, if they could get away with it tomorrow, they will. They will pack the Supreme Court. They yep. say that they're doing a research study. It's because they want to figure out how they can do it. And the mm -hmm. other, they're letting as many people as they can that they can get amnesty to, so they can build that's their right. voting base. That's right. Um, and then the other thing that's crazy, they're starting to explore making more states. They That's want to right. make Washington, D.C. a state, Puerto Rico, possibly a state. And that would just in other words, they're trying to do whatever they can to kind of rig the game That's to right. ensure that they can't get voted out of office. And once that happens, that's when they can really pivot to a way more left agenda. Like already we've pivoted to we're, like even the Republicans. I love the amount of money that they're comfortable spending and the amount of social programs that they will protect is because we've shifted so far into this field of camp that we can afford to spend money on these things. It's nearly impossible. The only people who can oppose it are people voted in from the state of Kentucky. For some reason, the people in Kentucky are okay with that. So you can have a Rand Paul, a Thomas Massey, um, and even, uh, not Mitch McConnell though, not Mitch McConnell. <laughs> Mitch McConnell's a strange one because yeah. I'm sure he's as pork and grease dirty as anybody. Um, but he does, he will oppose significant overspending. You know what I mean? He's not pushing for the trillion dollar plans. He tries to get them down to 500 billion. I don't know yeah. that he's doing us any favors, but at least he kind of does. Let's drive off the cliff 
just a little more slowly. Can we just yeah. off the clip just a little more slowly? Come on. No, you make a good point. Like uh, I heard that, like what? But if this if this Biden stimulus package passes, then um, a fifty percent of all dollars in circulation will have been printed in the last year. That's crazy. I mean, uh, and we're already now pushing almost thirty trillion in debt. I mean, it was just yesterday. I thought it was twenty trillion, and now boom, we're <laughs> it's at. It's hard to keep trillion. track because, it, it, yeah. it, like, a year ago, the idea of a two trillion dollars stimulus plan was: wait, are you sure? Well, we can do it once. And now it's like he just keeps putting up a new one with a larger price tag. Yeah. It, it's even hard to keep track of how many trillions he's looking at. Yeah. I mean, it's a power grab, right? They're using all these things as a power grab. Listen, they could have they could have created a blister package for everybody that had vitamin D pills and some ivermectin <laughs> and some hydroxychloroquine and zinc because like India did, right? Right. Uh, and, and just handed it out for pennies on the dollar, you know, to everybody and pandemic over, let's move on. Uh, but instead, uh, they're spending us into oblivion. They're reordering our society. Like uh, they want to get rid of the electoral college too. Um, uh, it's just uh, they want to get rid of guns. There's bills constantly being introduced to restrict am ammunition, to uh, put massive taxes on ammunition and gun purchases, and create national gun registries. Uh, you know, they want to do everything they can to basically nullify the Second Amendment. They're already very successful at nullifying the First Amendment. Uh, who's, who's got First Amendment protections anymore? Not Nick Fuentes. Not Nick Fuentes. He doesn't have First Amendment protections, and neither do many of the patriots who are on that January 6th list. Uh, nobody online has any, any free speech, and I'm not going to say First Amendment because that doesn't apply to uh, private companies, but the, the idea of free speech certainly is a principle that can exist anywhere, and it doesn't exist online. Um, it, it doesn't exist in the public space. You'll get fired for saying certain things. Uh, you know, People will come after you for your job and your livelihood. Uh, you, you can't have church. We haven't been able to have church for the last year. Government's uh, been punishing churches and trying to shut them down. Um, and, and, um, and they tried to shut down that protest on January 6th. So, so the first amendment's effectively been neutered. They're doing everything they can to neuter the, the second amendment. And they're doing things like the fourth amendment. Uh, they're neutering the fourth amendment, you know, uh, the amendment against, un, uh, uh, you know, um, unreasonable searches and seizures, you know, um, unlawful searches and seizures, uh, you know, all kinds of stuff. You go up and down the bill of rights and the constitution, they are nullifying as much as they can. Uh, and, and, uh, to protect them, they put up a fence around Washington, you know, to, to, you know, these guys, they, they will do anything. I think what they've done is they've shown that they will say they will do, and they will be whatever they need to say, be, or do, uh, to seize power. And, um, voting doesn't seem to, to work. We have, you have right now where a massive swath of the country thinks the election was stolen. Uh, I happen to think that there that there was voter fraud and that there, uh, you know, on, on that night, you know, why did all those states stop their counting at the same time in the middle of the night and then all of a sudden resume counting with massive spikes in Biden votes? It just doesn't uh, it doesn't. And we see that, you know, at Biden rallies, there's nobody there. We saw his state of the union had the worst ratings ever. It didn't even crack 12 million uh, more people, I guess, watched the video of him falling down the stairs than watched his state of the union, like literally. Um, you know, Trump was getting like 47, 48 million people watching his state of the unions and Joe Biden got 11.6 million. 
but he, but this is the guy we're supposed to think got the most votes in history, the biggest mandate in history. Uh, YouTube has disabled comments and downvoting for like White House streaming videos because they're being downvoted. Oh, ratioed. They're ratioed into oblivion. This is That's the most great. popular candidate in presidential right. history. No, the evidence is all over the place that this guy is not popular, that people don't like him. They don't want what he's selling. Uh, and so I think there's a lot of great evidence uh, for, yeah, for voter fraud that he could be illegitimate. Now, um, whether that's true or not, the point is, is that a massive swath of the country thinks that. And that's a that's an explosive situation when um, there is no faith in the electoral institutions. That's that's a big problem. And and that, that's number one. Problem number two is even when there doesn't seem to be voter fraud, um, the people we vote for still don't seem to carry out our wishes. We still don't get what we want. We're not in charge. Yeah, we still don't get a wall. I mean, that was, he promised us a wall. That was his signature yeah. piece of policy. That was the equivalent of Obama's I'll get you health care. Yeah. And uh, he wasn't able to do it. And by the way, the proof is in. You can spend as much money as you want. There's no problem spending money. That's not an issue. That's right. Not an issue. <laughs> not an issue. Uh, but the demographic transformation uh, uh, and electoral transformation of the United States must not be stopped at any cost, right? There's just the, under no circumstances can we allow can we allow the demographic and electoral transformation of the country uh, to be prevented. It must continue. It, it's like the highest value out there right now amongst these corporations, amongst these political organizations, amongst the parties. Even uh, if there's one thing that we cannot stop, it's the demographic and electoral transformation of the body of America. Hell yeah. All right. Yeah. Mr. Parker, this was great. Why don't you plug your uh, uh, Twitter once more? Yeah. So uh, Sam Parker Senate, uh, I'm on Gab, I'm on Twitter and I'm on Linktree uh, and many other platforms. But if you go to Linktree and look up Sam Parker Senate or Gab or Twitter, Sam Parker Senate, I'm there. Uh, follow me. Let's have a conversation. Robbie, thanks for having me on. Uh, as always, we didn't even cover half the stuff we wanted to. So uh, look forward you know, to doing it for a fourth time someday. Uh, thanks for having me on. You're a great American and uh, <laughs> patriot and keep up the great work, man. Appreciate you.